Today, we're going to be in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And the, uh, the title of the lesson this morning just has a question mark at the end of it, and it's called Wavering? Let's pray, and then I'll get into this this morning. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the, uh, the weeks we've had talking about character. Uh, thank you for your word and how it continues to teach us and continues to, um, to guide us in our lives. And this morning, as we just add a little piece on the end uh, from your word in James, help us to uh, focus, uh, to have clarity about what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I don't know how to say this other than there have been some times in my life where this word wavering has become kind of clear to me. And I mean me. Uh, there's been some times where I thought, maybe I'll go the way God wants me to go, or uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Have you ever done that? I can, I can remember a couple of, specifically, a couple of times where I could see where God wanted me to go. But if I were to think of a word, I couldn't think of a better word for what was happening at that time than wavering. And while I knew the direction, I'm not sure I wanted to go that direction. In fact, I'm quite sure at that time I didn't want to go that direction. And I think in the discussion of consistent Christian character, I think if there is going to be a, a group of us, some individuals in here that take some of the actions, the kind of actions that a Joseph or a David, or a Job took that we talked about, uh, there may be moments of wavering before we get there. There may be moments like that. The fact that this passage even dives into that idea that a person who is faced with challenges of various kinds, trials or testings of various kinds, we're going to get into the passage in just a moment. It's a familiar one. The fact that it even dives into the area of a person, instead of just asking God for wisdom and believing that whatever wisdom we get from God is the right thing to do and the right way to go, perhaps we would waver. And then it says how unsuccessful it would be or how unsuccessful we would be if we were to do this. James chapter one this morning. Big challenges come in our walk with Christ and some are, as we talked about, private challenges and others are public challenges. And they test our character and they test our faith. And this portion of scripture 
is about meeting trials of various kinds. And there seems to be a big opportunity and a big danger in meeting these various trials. And the brethren, as they're called here, as we often call each other, can look to God in faith or waver in a double-minded way. It's a possibility. But you know what this passage tells us? We must not waver. We must not. For this kind of person will not receive the things he asks for, and he will be unstable. James 1, let's start in verse 2, James 1. This is a familiar passage, but don't overlook the text. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That idea of upbraideth not meaning means that he doesn't uh, uh, respond to you negatively when you ask. He doesn't reprimand you for asking. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In many cases, as we add an addendum to our consistent character study here, in many ways, character is the opposite of instability. It's the opposite of instability. You say someone has character to say that they're not unstable. Don't you? In a way, you're saying they're responsible. They can be relied upon. They're honest. If you ask them to do something, they will do it. They have kindness and helpfulness. They're not unstable. People of character can be, and they are, relied upon. They are. This will happen. People who develop character will be relied upon because other people will see it. They are the people who have asked in faith received, and are on solid ground. <laughs> so you're going through various kinds of trials. 
In those kinds of situations, you will need wisdom. Ask of God. He's generous. He's not going to reprimand you for asking. And the implication all along would be that when you receive that wisdom, you would act upon it. We know that because of what it says next, that you should ask in faith. And if you ask something in faith, God provides. He said, did you notice what it said? He gives to men liberally. Gives to men liberally. So those of character are people who have asked in faith and they have received and they're on solid ground. There are points to be made from the text, of course, because when you're talking about this idea of stability and avoiding double-mindedness, there's a lot about that throughout the rest of Scripture. And so you can take this passage and you can see the points that are made and you can almost uh, outline them to other passages of Scripture. And that's what I've tried to do this morning. The first part of this, verse, verses 2 and the first part of verse 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or various kinds of testings, trials of various kinds. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I just want to say here that we have joy because of knowledge. We have joy because of knowledge. It's the first-hand kind of knowledge. It's like this. We know him, and therefore we know that he is doing something in us. We know he is working with our best interest in mind. It's a firsthand kind of knowledge. We know what his working can do and how it can benefit us. How, how do we know all that? How do we know all that? A person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ has to know all that. For if you've embraced salvation, if you've come to the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, condescended to this creation of his, lived a perfect sinless life for you, only to be sacrificed for your sin, to take your place, the punishment that would have been yours, but that has been placed upon him, died, was buried, rose again from the dead, was victorious so that we can be offered the free gift of salvation. You, won't, you know all of that. You know all about that he knows what's best, that he wants what's best for you, that he is graceful, that he provides when needed. Simply knowing Christ gives us knowledge about many, many of his attributes that we cannot be confused about. Isn't it unfortunate that we get confused about them over time? 
Isn't that unfortunate? Isn't it unfortunate that the clarity of understanding of our salvation gets clouded over time? And we begin, we begin to think, perhaps it's because of various kinds of trials. And we begin to think that perhaps God wouldn't provide when I need it most. Well, he provided salvation through his only son. When he allowed the sons, uh, the son of Abraham to be spared, he spared not his own son. And we can come to, a, to various kinds of testings and we can not reflect on the fact that we know what kind of God we serve. We know that he's working to benefit us. First John 1, I, I want to read five verses in First John 1. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Jesus Christ was uh, indeed a real person who came to this earth for us. And uh, many were eyewitnesses, hands-on witnesses of who he was. We are too, for he is alive and we know him. For the life was manifested that we have, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which the Father, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Verse 3, 1 John 1. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly your fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Do you see all the knowledge that led up to? We're telling you all of this that we have seen and that we have heard and that we have touched and that we know for sure and that we can assure you of. Why? So your joy may be full. Be assured, if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your eternal soul, you can trust him with absolutely everything else. Everything else. We have known it. We have seen it. There are many who will attest. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about a great cloud of witnesses who could attest to the fact of who God is. We know what he is doing, because we know who he is. And various testings serve to bring us, as it said at the end of this passage, more light, for in God is light and no darkness at all. And whatever testings may come, because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, they bring us more light. But we also have patience because of testing. We have patience because of testing. Did you notice what it said in verse three? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. 
challenges, testings are useful things. Sometimes, you want to know how we waver? Sometimes even in asking a question about our trial, we're indicating that we believe that it's useless. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, why did this have to come? Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting this on you. I'm just saying we together often do this. Why, why did this have to come into my life? That's all, there's almost something built into that that says, this is completely useless. And why did it have to show up? This is the case that challenges are useful. This is the case, again, because of who God is to us and how he has chosen to deal with us. This patience is what we would define a little bit more broadly as steadfastness, constancy, endurance. And then I like how it was described in one of the Bible dictionaries. It says, in the New Testament, this is characteristic of a man, this steadfastness, this constancy, this endurance. It's characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Let me just read that again. When it says that the testing of your faith works patience. It's characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. That sounds like a pretty deep character to me. Not swerved from his deliberate purpose. I see that in a man like uh, Joseph, where he was led off track and he would not leave his deliberate purpose. I see that in a man like David, where he could not pass by something that would accomplish, a confrontation that would accomplish his deliberate purpose. I see that in a man like Job, who, when his life fell apart, did not swerve from his deliberate purpose. James chapter five, if you were to go ahead, just a few chapters in James, verse 10 says, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and affliction and of patience. Suffering and affliction and of steadfastness, of constancy, of endurance. Take those from the past as an example. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. No, we don't. Not from the world's point of view. We don't count people happy, which endure. If you were looking at this in a worldly way, not a biblical way, you would say, oh man, that guy's having all kinds of trouble in life. He's not happy. He'd only be happy if everything was going good. 
couldn't really be more wrong. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. That, here we go back to God's character, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. How, how does it show mercy that Job had all these problems? God never changed. You know who knew that best? Job. I'll tell you, he knew it better than me when I was reading the story. <laughs> because you, you go through all these things and then you get to the point where he says, and Job praised the Lord. Job worshiped the Lord. That's what it says. Job worshiped the Lord. And you say, it's a tough time to worship the Lord. I might have wavered during that time. But the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He shows pity to us and great mercy to us. How about perfection because of this steadfastness? Perfection. Let's go back to verse 4 in our text, James chapter 1. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, complete, entire, not wanting anything. Responding in a biblical way with patience and endurance produces completeness. But you have to respond in a biblical way, in the way in which God would have you to respond. It produces completeness. If we were to go to 2 Timothy 3, we would see what it's saying about the word of God. It says that scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We just saw a moment ago that we're supposed to look back at the examples that we have many times from the Old Testament, also in the New Testament, the early church as well. But the, the word of God is profitable that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we're responding in a biblical way for the sake of our completion in Christ. There is a completeness and equipping to every man who knows and obeys or lives in accordance with the word of God. Hebrews 5, I just want to read two verses in Hebrews 5. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Another translation says meat belongs to, quote, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, unquote. This is from knowing God's word and enduring trials. Um, it, it's important to stay on that for just a minute. Um, knowing God's word is key 
being continually in God's word is key for doing this remembering that we've already talked about. For we said, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to know, essentially, by definition, we begin to know many characteristics of God. For we under, when we understand he is our savior and we have no other, and there's no other option, and he has provided mercy and he has provided grace and he's provided salvation, and we have righteousness because he's imputed righteousness to us. We, we, we begin to learn things about it. But knowing his word and staying in his word reminds us and reminds us and reminds us. For we must be reminded. You know, when you're doing, when you're doing a lot of teaching, I have to say to you, when you're doing a lot of teaching, um, you start to think to yourself, this is getting pretty repetitive. Has anybody ever taught a lot and thought, I must have said this 100,000 times. I mean, it's just repetitive and repetitive and repetitive. And that's exactly what the word of God is. <laughs> it's exactly what the word of God is. You'll go, you'll, what you'll do is you'll, in the morning, you'll, you'll be looking at something or in the evening or whatever the case it is, and you'll go, hmm, oh, I, I thought I saw that. Some, I thought I, that was what I read last week. Oh, that was over here. Oh, yeah, that's a very similar thing. It's reminding us. Remember God is this way. Remember who God is. Use this person to help you see who God is. Use this, these series of phrases to help you remember who God is. Use a poem to help you remember who God is. Write some songs, the Bible tells us, to remember who God is. Remind yourself. Well, I reminded myself yesterday. Not good enough. Remind yourself today. The powers, their powers of discernment are trained by constant practice. This is from knowing God's word and enduring trials. The next point we could make is in verse five. It's about wisdom because of generosity. Listen to what verse five says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. In essence, that's saying he is generous with wisdom. And he upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. It shall be given to him if you ask. God's generous. He hands out wisdom in heaping scoops to those who will ask. That's what it's saying. You know, I don't think that we always think about this this way. We always think, if I only had wisdom, oh, it'd be years till I can get it. Oh, I'll just work. And if I can only get to the place where I have some wisdom. That's really, that's not how it's classified here. That may be true. Some enduring wisdom is going to take some time. But if you need wisdom now, you ask of God, he'll give. I don't know how much time I have. I'll tell you about something. I remember seeing that uh, a pastor that, that we had, 
um, at one time. And uh, we were in some very, very delicate situations where some controversial things occurred. And uh, I thought to myself, uh, I, I, um, I wondered when a question came up that was so difficult, how he was going to respond. And I'm talking about the most difficult questions. If you want to know what I'm talking about or give you an idea, you can ask me later. But I'm talking about some difficult questions. And when they came up, I thought, how is he going to possibly respond to this? It's just, this is, I, I've never even heard a good response to this. And somehow he would give an answer and it was able to calm a situation in the most difficult moments when the most difficult question came up. And I thought when I saw it, not, isn't he smart? I thought that had to be God that did that. It had to be. God had to have given them those words. For I could have studied for a week. I could have thought about it for a week and never come up with those words. If I were just considering how long it would take for me to come up with words like that, I just couldn't do it. And perhaps it was because I was thinking of how I could do it on my own. And yet, God gave wisdom. And I thought at that moment, God gives wisdom. <laughs> I remember seeing it. I remember hearing it. I remember thinking that is a wise response in the midst of difficulty. Ask of God and he will give wisdom. God's generous. He hands out wisdom. Uh, remember, if you were to go down a few verses in this chapter, it says this to us about God, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the father of lights. There's no variableness or shadow of turning with him. There's no mystery or uh, not knowing when it comes to God. Of his own will begat he us the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's just a few verses later in this passage. We must be ever mindful that all good and perfect comes from him. Can I just say this to you on that matter? He has, he is what we need. And so there's going to come testings. There's going to come challenges of various kinds. He has what we need. He is what we need. Um, the last, is it the last thing? No, it's not the last thing. Okay, I better hurry then. Uh, faith because of familiarity. Verse six, the beginning of verse six. But let him ask in faith. Now, I use the word familiarity for a reason. And that's because those of us who know him must certainly, and we've already talked about it by definition, know his grace and his kindness by experience. Those who know him must know by experience, for you cannot be saved without experiencing grace. You may need a series like we're doing on Sunday morning to remind you of all grace is. If you've experienced grace, you know grace. Don't forget we also must be familiar with his generosity. 
for he is the giver of a gift, and it's called salvation. It's the gift of God. We know about his generosity. Hebrews 11.11 says, Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah had faith because of what she judged. She was acquainted with his character and judged his word to be true. It was a character test for God, and he was true. He was true. The sixth thing, deficiency because of doubt. Here we get into the wavering portion of this passage. Deficiency because of doubt. Verse 7, for let not a man think, oh, I'm sorry, verse Six, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth, the end of verse six, is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Then it really describes in the next two verses what this wavering person is. For let not that man think he he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man, that's the wavering man, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Why does the man who wavers not have wisdom? Because of doubt. There's something in their doubt. Something he's not believing about God. For what is faith? What is faith? It's believing God. If you're not believing God, there's doubt. Uh, Guys, I can jump over this building. You should have doubt right now. If you believe me, you have your faith placed in the wrong thing. There's doubt. Deficiency becomes because of doubt. It is when we begin to doubt that he is faithful Doubt that he has our best interest at heart. Doubt that he is generous in dispensing wisdom that we fail. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Victory comes from faith because we have faith in the one who is the victor. Uh, Instability because of carnality. Verse eight, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What's happening when the person is double-minded? What's happening when they're having doubt? What's happening? What's happening is there's a thought that they may have faith in God. Perhaps it would be a good idea to have faith in God. Or perhaps I should just rely on whatever, whoever else I'm trying to figure things out with or by 
instead. You're double-minded. It has to be flesh in some way or the other. You're either relying on something that is not capable of helping, maybe someone else or some other situation or some entity, something, or yourself, which is certain failure. And there's some part of your flesh that has entered in where you're not relying on spirit. You're not walking in the spirit. And there's some doubt. There's something that's taking you away and whatever it is. And we could potentially use an excuse for whatever that thing is. And we can say, well, I'm not trusting in God because of this, 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 this. Well, there were these circumstances that occurred. There were these difficulties that happened that would make me not to believe with everything I have that God could provide wisdom in these various kinds of trials. There's a reason I don't have any character in in this situation, and it's because of this and this and, and this. And if you were to be honest enough, if all any of us who have this were to be honest enough, we would have to step back and say, this is because of our flesh. This is not coming from God and it's not valid. And oh, how we do not, oh, how we let ourselves off the hook. We say, well, it's because of stuff. It's because of stuff. Luke 9, I just want to finish Luke 9, we'll be done here. Luke 9, verse 57, I just want to read this to you. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, this is Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not to weigh, uh, not where to lay his head. Have you ever noticed that wisdom is sometimes difficult? If you haven't noticed that, you haven't seen much wisdom. Wisdom will come and it will say, okay, here's what's godly to do. This hard thing. And you'll say, whoa, that's wisdom? Not sure if I want that. This person said, I want to follow you wherever you go. And he said, well, here's the thing. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. I just want you to know what you're getting into here. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. That's Jesus speaking. That means it's wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Let the dead bury their dead, Go and preach the kingdom of God. That's what you're to do. 
And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Have we made up our minds about following God? Or are we wavering? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our scriptures this morning that you've given us that we can learn from, that we can um, consistently study. They tell us many times the same thing. And we look at the same thing that's being told to us over and over. And sometimes we still don't believe. And uh, we need your help. You know, we need your wisdom. Because uh, we're, there's going to be no doubt sometimes when we waver. It just feels like uh, it's a little piece of the Christian life. And yet, we can't look back. We can't um, go a different way than you want us to go. So help us to not waver, but to have faith and to judge you faithful like Sarah did. In Jesus' name, amen.